In today's episode of Crypto Over Coffee, I'm sharing with you my predictions as to when the crypto bear market will end. But that is not all today. We're talking about worrying signs for Ethereum, great news for the Cardano Vassal hard fork, a magical product for crypto mass adoption, and more brought to you by my friends at Masari and their mainnet crypto conference. But more on that in a few. That said, you know the drill. Grab a coffee, make sure you're subscribed, and stick around for the whole episode because we've got a ton of cool stuff in store and beware of scammers i will not reach out to you on social media or in the youtube comments there's tons of scams going on right now please be safe out there now as the headline of the video reads very clearly the biggest question that i get right now in my dms on social media in the comments is when will the crypto bear market end and i find it rather frustrating that as we went through the last several weeks and we had rallies in the markets how many influencers were implying that the bull market was already back on? We're out of the bear market, guys. Inflation has been conquered. The fact is, we are nowhere near the end of the crypto bear market right now as we sit here right this very second. And the market action of the last couple of days is stark proof of that. Here's why. Jerome Powell, Federal Reserve Chair, held the annual meeting in Jackson Hole to give an update on the economy and the fight against inflation. The markets rallied hard right up until the moment of that meeting, pretty much since the last CPI inflation numbers, all the way up until Jerome Powell started speaking and the reality set in. The aggressive Federal Reserve tightening to combat inflation is far from over. Powell, at one point in his speech, warned that there will be, quote, pain ahead in this fight against inflation, and another rate hike is well on its way, likely another 75 basis point hike just like the last. And it's becoming relatively clear that the rallies in the crypto markets were speculative in nature, hoping that the seemingly peaking inflation numbers would render a less hawkish negative tone from the Federal Reserve. And that just didn't pan out. The European Central Bank is also matching this same tone, indicating a more aggressive rate hike as well. This is a global economic crisis on path to a full-fledged recession in the United States and abroad, and people need to accept that probability. It's not a guarantee but it's a probability. You will not see a crypto bull market in a recession, plain and simple. We also must acknowledge that September has a couple of trapdoors for the crypto markets and equities markets like that could really send the prices dropping. And one of which is the latest inflation numbers. If we see a CPI percentage number greater than July's measurement, it could cause panic that inflation is not yet under control like we thought it was last month when we saw numbers dropping from what we thought is a peak. Secondly, you have some significant events like the Ethereum merge that are going to land in September, and those need to go really, really well or things could get very ugly market-wide. And September traditionally is a pretty bad time for Bitcoin and the crypto markets. Now, you're probably sitting there like, okay, well, yeah, this sounds like doom and gloom, so when's this going to end? And all of what I just shared in terms of catalysts for the bear market are to prove a point that until we see these huge macroeconomic conditions shift, we're going to be stuck in a bear market. That's the hard truth. If you were around in 2018, you know that bear markets can last a good long while. They can last years and they can get even worse than what we have now. The fact is, until we get the Federal Reserve and other central banks around the world indicating clearly that they've hit their targets and tamping down inflation and or we have some big catalyst event for these organizations to begin quantitative easing, printing, money expansion, whatever you want to call it, we will not see the type of bull market we saw in 2021 for crypto 
or equities or any other market. That's not to say we won't have rallies and we won't have good weeks, but there will not be the conditions to truly see the market grow until these things change. And I don't think that we see that happen till mid-2023 at best. And even then, the process of fighting inflation could have sent us into a full-fledged recession, which further delays any path to the end of the bear. The world is an unpredictable place, and an unexpected event could change pretty much everything. But as we sit here right now, I'm willing to say that we will not see any semblance of a bear market exit until 2023, maybe even 2024, if a soft landing doesn't materialize and we run into a recession. Do you agree or disagree? Let me know in the comments or on Twitter at Hishoshi4. That being said, one final piece of advice, do not try and trade your way through this. Don't go and try and short the market on leverage because you think it's a long bear. Just leave it be. That's how you're going to get even more wrecked than you already are or get wrecked if you haven't gotten wrecked yet. Even expert traders have already been crushed and will continue to be crushed in these volatile markets with unpredictable triggers. So please be careful and protect yourself first and foremost. Risk management is the name of the game. Divert the time you'd spend trading to learning, whether that's learning how to research crypto projects or learning to code or learning technical writing or learning technical analysis. Whatever that is, you'll get much more reward from that than playing with leverage in this mess of a market. Quick coffee break. Now, despite my general attempts to avoid putting two somewhat negative stories in one show back to back, I feel it important to lay this one out there for folks right up front in the episode. There are concerns right now for those who are holding Ether, especially for those who have loaded up on Ether ahead of the Ethereum merge event in mid-September in the hopes of accumulating huge profits. Recent analysis by the folks over at Santiment in terms of market data showed a concerning trend. Ethereum whales have, over the last several months, seemed to move quite a bit of their ETH to exchanges, with personally owned addresses having declined more than 10% and exchange-based addresses having surged by nearly 80%. In a general sense, this is thought of as a negative indicator because it implies that these larger players are readying funds to be sold, else why would they be moving from their own personally owned wallets to exchanges? If you look at catalyst events in history, big upgrades, big launches, hard forks, um, big feature releases, you see this behavior from big holders. They wait for peak hype, and then they market dump to capitalize right at the last second, sending the asset plummeting. This really is a manifestation of buy the rumor, sell the news. The whales drive a lot of that price action at times. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I believe ETH will tank right after the merge, and then it will start to resurge and build back with fundamentals over time. Uh, for example, new deflationary economic design is going to help. I bring this up not to say that I don't believe in Ethereum going forward, but I really don't want to see people buying up Ether in anticipation of a guaranteed rocket upwards post-merge because I really don't think any indicators are pointing to that happening right this very second. So my main goal here is to say be very careful if you're attempting to play this one out and to play the merge for profit. Take a look at market data like exchange inflows, futures markets, etc., to see how big players are thinking about the midterm value of Ether and practice good risk management. That's all I'll say. In more positive news, the Cardano mainnet is now fast approaching critical mass in terms of node operators running the necessary node client software version to consummate the long-awaited Vassal hard fork that will bring wholesale improvements to the Cardano network. On Thursday, 
It was reported that around 40% of blocks on the Cardano mainnet were validated by stake pool operators who have upgraded their nodes to version 1.35.3 compatible with Vassal, the latest upgrade. And then on Friday, we saw those numbers tracking towards 75% running this node version before the final upgrade can take place. That was a box that needed to be checked, so it looks like we're good there. In addition, exchange and decentralized application developers need to complete work to prepare for this upgrade as well. With the goal of 80% of exchanges by liquidity having to upgrade their infrastructure to support Vassal, and at least the top 10 decentralized applications by TVL or total value locked must also support and test the latest version of the Cardano node. If I had to guess, you're going to see all of these key metrics or, or parameters hit for the final upgrade date right on the cusp of mid-September, and then the Hard Fork Combinator event should take place thereafter in September or October. That's my guess, not a guaranteed timeline. And that is going to merge together the new upgrades in the Vassal Hard Fork to be enable better scalability, flexibility, and programmability with the existing protocol in mainnet today. So after this long wait, this is going to be a welcome site for Cardano developers and users alike who will be waiting for the floodgates to open for applications that depend on these new upgrades that have been holding back up until now. Now, speaking of Cardano, do you want to rub elbows with folks like Charles Hoskinson? If so, I want to remind you to check out the Mainnet Crypto Conference that's running from September 21st to September 23rd in New York City, hosted by the crypto research company Misari. The Mainnet Conference is going to bring 4,000 plus crypto builders and thought leaders together to dive deep into the current state of the crypto industry and provide projections on the future of this technology. So if you want to attend Mainnet, you can get 300 bucks off your pass today by visiting www.mainnet.events and then entering promo code Hashoshi at checkout. Again, that is promo code Hashoshi at checkout. But now, my friends, it is... 404. That is 404 Logic Not Found, not 4 p.m. And this is a firecracker of a segment on the show where we bring attention to illogical happenings in the crypto space that need to get some attention really, really quickly. And if you want to help the show get some attention as well, please hit like, get subscribed, follow the podcast, share this with your friends. It's much appreciated and much appreciated to Onyx Coffee for the delicious coffee today. Not sponsored. Now, today's 404 Logic Not Found centers on the whole topic of tornado cash, a contentious topic today. And this was a privacy-focused Ethereum mixing service that was sanctioned by the Office of Foreign Asset Controller, OFAC, through their specially designated nationals or SDN list. And this means that no U.S. person can interact with tornado cash, nor a list of addresses or funds linked to tornado cash. This came in the wake of numerous reports that bad actors abroad had used Tornado Cash to effectively launder and cover tracks on stolen funds through decentralized finance exploits. As part of all this, reported Tornado Cash developer Alexei Pertsev was arrested and now allegedly is held without charges in the Netherlands. And to be clear, I do not support any form of criminal activity and believe that criminals and those who deliberately enable them should be brought to justice. However, my issue with this unique situation is as follows. Holding developers of open source software or protocols liable for how those software protocols are used by others is a seemingly draconian approach that sets a dangerous precedent for the future. If you open up this can of worms and you say, for the sake of argument, that Pertsev is liable for the activity that Tornado Cash was used for simply because he developed the protocol, 
you may as well press charges against every computer scientist in the United States whose inventions could very well be used for nefarious activities in the future. It is a huge leap. If you develop a piece of software that's used by others to facilitate what is deemed to be malicious activity, you're liable? That doesn't seem right to me, unless you can prove without a shred of doubt that one intentionally and willfully built something for nefarious actors for that express purpose. If that logic is to hold, should we be holding the creators of voice over IP, VoIP, or telecommunications protocols liable for phone scams that take money all the time? Should we be holding creators of front-end development frameworks liable because their tools are used to create phishing sites? No, that's insanity. If it's proven that Alexei Pertsev did not intentionally or willfully develop this tool to support bad actors and did not know that it would be used this way and is still charged and or imprisoned, the precedent this would set globally is something that I think people are not taking seriously enough, not thinking clearly enough. It will surely make open source developers think twice about contributing to any primitive or platform or software or solution, whatever you want to call it, that could be used nefariously because they will fear the same type of criminal treatment if that scenario were to materialize out of their control. For one, any developer associated with cryptography research would feel uneasy about this, even though the vast majority, if not every cryptography researcher, has no criminal intention whatsoever in their development efforts. Heck, I mean, it gives credence to why Satoshi Nakamoto, the pseudonymous creator of Bitcoin, may not have exposed his, her, or their identity. All of this is very open-ended right now. It's very up in the air. There's not a lot of clarity on the facts, and we don't know a lot so far. So I'm not trying to take a hard-line stance, including whether or not there will be charges brought in this case. We don't know that, and that's why it's so disconcerting. But whatever way this pans out, I believe that in the absence of provable intent to support criminal activity, a developer of software should not be held liable for how code is used. Any other approach to me seems to be a 404 logic not found in my opinion. Let me know what you think in the comments or on Twitter. There is also a specific product launch that I feel has gotten nowhere near the love and attention it deserves, so I'm gonna bring it to your attention here, and that is something called Magic Connect. Now, the folks behind Magic Link, an authentication tool, bring Magic Connect, which is a tool for developers to bring non-custodial crypto wallets to their users without the need to fumble with seed phrases or private keys, bridging traditional logins like a Google account with two-factor authentication to a mobile-first crypto wallet on the user's device. What this means is that a developer can build a crypto-focused experience that requires a wallet in a way that makes it easy for non-crypto native people to onboard and to do so in a way that doesn't rely on a third-party custody platform. Not your keys, not your crypto, right? Now, it suffices to say that whatever login, like a Google account that the user uses to manage this wallet needs to be adequately secured. So policies need to be in place there in terms of passwords and 2FA, things like that. But regardless, this is a huge cog in the very lackluster wallet user experience area of crypto. What stops mass adoption? Poor user experience. Look at every other technology in history. New users that have a crappy experience or lose funds due to an error end up leaving crypto and never returning. And that needs to stop. So Magic Connect is a tool just for that. And when used correctly with proper controls in place could be a critical piece of the puzzle for a more mainstream decentralized application and digital asset adoption with non-custodial wallets, which is pun intended, the key.
And with that, my friends, let's take a look at some of the questions folks submitted from last week's show. And remember, if you want a question of yours featured on the show and answered by yours truly, leave them in the YouTube comments or tweet me at Hashoshi4. I really do try and keep track of things on Twitter as well. So let's go ahead and pull up these questions and see what the first one on the list is. The first question of the day is from Blockhead Dave. Do you think Biden forgiving student loans will positively affect the crypto market? Now, this one is very interesting. I've been seeing a lot of talk about this uh, recently on Twitter and on Reddit. People wondering if you're thinking about this, say it's, um, you know, billions of dollars that it takes to forgive student loans, right? Let's, let's just say that for the sake of argument. If that's the case, do we have to print money? Do we have to shift towards printing money, which was the catalyst for the 2021 bull market in many cases and what led up to it? Do we have to print money to, to do this student loan forgiveness? And if so, does that mean that we're back in a bull market? To me, the answer is no. Here's why. This particular plan here, while it is a fair bit of money that is going to be spent on this plan, the way, the, play, the way that it's being paid for is a little bit different, okay? So first and foremost, this is not just a flat-out inflationary um, moment in terms of going and directly printing money and directly going on the balance sheet through the Federal Reserve. It's a slightly different approach here. So every year, the U.S. government runs at a deficit. That's pretty obvious. If you've read anything about the U.S. government spending over the last... I don't know, several decades, you've seen the deficit. It's basically how much extra money the government spends beyond what they're collecting from taxes and other revenue generating uh, activities, right? So in this case, what they're trying to do is to cut spending in other areas of the government to pay for this plan. So the idea here is to try and do this without printing, to try and do this without just adding to the deficit and not driving it back with costs savings, with cost cutting, spending cuts in other places. There's also people floating, uh, rising taxes as well to help pay for this. So the reality is while this probably will contribute to inflation, there were some estimates made by an independent board, I can't remember who it was, they basically estimated that it would add, uh, I think it was, 15 basis points, so 0.15% an impact on inflation. I think it's actually going to be less than that because the actual plan that was executed was giving less money out than that estimate was made with. So the reality is, could this theoretically help crypto? I mean, maybe if you really stretch the logic, but this is not a, a change in macroeconomic policy right now, at least not that I'm seeing unless they change this plan. So it doesn't mean we're going away from tightening Jerome Powell made that very clear. The European Central Bank made that very clear globally. We're still tightening. We're still tapering. There's no change there. We're not going back to, to money printing uh, writ large. So therefore, I would say this overall as a singular event is not really going to help crypto. That's just my opinion. Thank you for your question. Uh, the next one is from Emilio. What are your thoughts on Elrond Network's potential after almost a year of MyR Exchange's launch and projects built like Holoride, Watt, Cantina Royale, Proteo DeFi, Ethereum, Zoid Pay. So I have often covered Elrond. I think Elrond as a technology is generally pretty darn nice. I think that Elrond launched in many cases a lot of what the vision for Ethereum 2.0 before a lot of things changed in the Ethereum ecosystem wanted to do. You have uh, 
a sharded blockchain network that's capable of relatively significant scale. You have really good user experience with the MyR wallet. You have a native decentralized exchange or DEX and liquidity platform in MyR exchange. So the reality is right now, the name of the game is builders need to build at this point in time. So Elrond and the whole team around it, all the projects in the Elrond ecosystem need to be heads down building to prepare and to survive being very capital conscious. They need to survive through this bear market, which has an uncertain timeline that we talked about today. It could be 2024 before we get out of this bear market. And so by that time, they need to have built up stability, made upgrades to the network as needed, anticipate the scale they're going to need, incubate projects that can really focus on building and not marketing and getting their token out there and all that stuff. That's what they need to do right now. So Elrond still has a lot of potential, but this bear market is going to be very critical for layer one chains, just like Elrond. We're talking the Algorands of the world. We're talking Cardano, for example. These projects, this is a make or break period for them because going into the next phase of growth, if they fail to get that uptake, if they fail to stand out in the sea of L1s and compete, it could be a real difficult time to come back from that. So I think Elrond has a lot of potential. I'm still personally, to be full, fully, to give you a full disclosure, I'm invested in MEX, Dumeier Exchange, uh, Eagled, Holoride. I think out of that list, those are the only projects that I'm invested in personally, just so you have an idea of where I am. Uh, not saying you should emulate me, but you should take a look at this, see if you believe in the fundamentals, and then make your decisions accordingly. Again, not giving you financial advice, just telling you for transparency purposes where I'm at on these. All right. Next question here. This one is from Surreal Fish Joke, Ponky Fish Head. Uh, hopefully uh, that was the inten intended accent that you wanted me to read your name with. I just made an assumption. Do you think that eventually football clubs, so either soccer or European football, as it should be properly called, or U.S. football and baseball, in fact, all major sports enterprises will have their own crypto tokens? So do I think holistically Sports organizations will have their own token and their own digital asset strategy. It seems to me that a fan base would definitely want something unique for their fans to be able to use, to buy season tickets, so on and so forth, have experiences. The answer to this question is resoundingly yes. If you've been following uh, projects like uh, like Chili's and their Socios platform, where you have uh, many different soccer or European football clubs who have... Um, gone out there and released fan tokens, NFTs, uh, unique fan experiences driven by these fan tokens, you'll see there's a big appetite. And there's a big appetite from users and fans of the clubs as well. So it's not just the club saying, hey, this is cool. Let's do this. It's a way to make money. Fans have spoken with their dollars, cents, euros, and pounds saying we want to engage in these types of activities. What this provides is a platform, especially for some of the uh, medium-sized clubs that are out there to provide more deep fan engagement with the people that support the club. Voting with your tokens uh, for what kit you want to choose out of an a set of options of three during the offseason. People would eat up that opportunity. The ability to win experiences that cost the club pretty much nothing, but people will pay handsomely for the opportunity to achieve meeting players, autograph signings, tours of the facilities, pitch side seats, all sorts of things like that. These are, in my opinion, digital assets holistically are the future 
of fan engagement, not only for sports clubs, but also for music artists, uh, cinematographers, etc. Therefore, I really do think that these sports organizations are going to lean in heavily in this space. And you're going to see ones that are traditionally very conservative, similar to uh, my favorite club, Tottenham Hotspur, very conservative with these types of things. I have a feeling all of these organizations are going to start going in that direction because it just makes eminent sense to do so. So the answer is absolutely yes, not only for season ticket holders, but for casual fans that are just getting in to fandom for their football club of choice or their baseball club of choice. This is going to be a huge area of growth in crypto holistically, but also in the area of how sports fan engagement starts to happen. You're gonna to start to see a lot more localization, a lot more individual direct fan relationships with the clubs, with the players, uh, with the sponsors of those clubs, huge economic opportunity for all parties involved. So that is my answer. Yes, resoundingly yes, I think that is going to be the case. So with that folks, I want to thank you so much for watching or listening to this episode of Crypto Over Coffee and any other Crypto Over Coffee you listen to. This is really a one-man show. I do this show completely by myself, and so it really means a lot when people watch, when people listen, when people comment, give feedback, positive or negative. It makes a real difference. I'll be here throughout the bear market, regardless, rain or shine, making content like this and want to make stuff that you like. So let me know in the comments or on Twitter what you want to see. If you have time to stick around, though, please do check out this video I just made about the most prevalent security risk to cryptocurrency holders right here, right now, a huge trend that hackers are using to steal from you. I'll leave this video linked up on the screen if you got some time to watch. I think it's well worth your time. But regardless of that, I hope you and your family have a wonderful rest of your weekend and week ahead. And until next time, Cheers.